Last week, one of the things that Pastor Allen talked about was diffraction. You remember the picture that he put up on the screen? Diffraction is the bending of waves. The picture he showed was the ocean waves coming through the small opening into the small bay and how the waves change direction and they look different. So today is a diffraction. The waves are moving differently with me up here instead of Alan. However, I do want to use the scripture that Alan has been teaching from. I just want to use it as a springboard for my remarks. In no way do I intend to detract or take anything away from Alan, his teaching. I've been enjoying, and uh, it's obvious that the man studies deeply, isn't it? You can tell by the things that come from his mouth. And I appreciate that, but I'd like to share some reflections on the first part of Colossians 3.16. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. We've heard that a few times the last few weeks. The very first word, let. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. This speaks to intentionality. It's an intentional thing. You have to allow it. Letting the word of Christ dwelling you does not come naturally. It's not a natural thing that you're born with. My basic nature does not default to the teachings of Christ as my standard go-to. For instance, Jesus said in Matthew 5, 11, and 12, when men shall revile you, persecute you, and say all manner of evil against you for my sake, rejoice and be exceeding glad. Really? <laughs> Someone cusses you out, tells the world how sorry you are, slanders your character, lies about you to those you love in so much that your friends turn their back on you and believe the worst and won't have anything to do with you, and all you're guilty of is doing your best, trying to, to get along in this world and portray a Christian attitude and Rejoice, and not just be happy about it, but be exceedingly glad. <laughs> that kind of goes against my nature. It's just not natural. Or how about when Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, verse 40, whoever shall smite you on your right cheek, turn to him the other also. I think Jesus meant that more figuratively than physically, but either way, how easy is that? to turn the other cheek. When someone wounds you deeply by the things they say or do against you, my first and natural reaction is to retaliate, strike back. The way I was raised, I was thinking about my father earlier today. It's Father's Day. He's been gone for 10 years now. And um, he was an old-time preacher. But he always told me when I was in school, he's like, I don't want you to fight. He said, if you ever, if it looks like you're going to get in a fight, you get the first hit because that's half the battle. So that's kind of the way I was raised. Of course, I only got in one fight during school, but I did that. I got the first hit in, so, and I guess I won the fight. I don't know, but anyway, against my best friend of all things. Can you believe that? <laughs> George Ridge. But anyway, uh, you know, when someone hurts you, they smite you on the right cheek, it, you want to retaliate, strike back. And even in the life of Jesus, we see a seeming contradiction to this. You remember the story about Jesus cleansing the temple? 
There's more than one account in the Gospels, but in John's account, which is my favorite of this story, the Bible says that after Jesus went into the temple and he saw the deplorable state of things, that he went out and he made a whip of small cords. He made the whip himself of small cords, and then he went back into the temple. He drove out all of the, uh, the dishonest merchants that were exploiting the worshipers and making a mockery of their worship and dishonest sales. He turned over their tables. He even took their money boxes and just poured them out on the floor. That doesn't sound like gentle meek Jesus, does it? What blows my mind even more is it was premeditated. He went out, took the time to gather some small cords, whatever they were, leather or whatever. Maybe he had to even fray the ends so they would whip better. He plated them together. I mean, he took his time and made a whip. I don't know. I, I get these mental pictures of things. I look at the the word of God a little different than some people, I guess, but I get these mental pictures and I can just see him sitting there on a rock making this whip and muttering to himself. Can you believe these dishonest guys making a mockery out of worship? They'll wish they'd never seen a dove when I get through with them. I mean, you know, he just, these, these thoughts are just mulling over in his mind. Can't you picture that? I mean, that's what I'd be doing while I'm making this whip. You know, I'm picturing what I'm going to do when I go back in that temple. Well. He took his time. He made the whip. I can see his frustration, even his anger, if I can say that. I believe, he was a, I believe he was a real man, so I think he felt those things. But he went back in there, and he drove them out. Or how about the story of Jesus calling the little child up to himself, sat him on his lap, and you can almost see the flash in his eyes as he looked out at the crowd, and he said, if anybody hurts one of these little ones, It'd be better for you if somebody tied a stone around your neck and threw you in the sea. That doesn't sound like gentle, meek Jesus, does it? But yet, on the flip side of that coin, then when Jesus was standing trial, they slapped him, they hit him in the head with sticks, they spit on him, the height of humiliation, they spit in his face, and the Bible says he never said a word. He never retaliated one bit. He didn't taunt them. It wasn't like, come on, is that the best you got? Can't you do better than that? Oh, you're a big man, aren't you? Here I am tied up and you're going to hit me over the head. Says a lot about you, doesn't it? No. He stood there and took it. He stood there and took it. So it almost seems like a dichotomy here, doesn't it? I mean, it's like two different people here. In one place, he's got the whip in his hand and the anger in his eyes, and he's driving them out of the temple, telling them it'd be better if they went and drowned in the sea than to hurt one of these little ones. In my opinion, how we can reconcile these two pictures of Jesus is that when it was other worshipers being taken advantage of, when it was his children who were doing their best to make a sacrifice and do something for God, when it was the little child that was basically defenseless against an older adult who would take advantage of him. When it was the father's house that was being degraded, Jesus came out fighting fiercely, forcefully, with a whip in his hand, with the glint of anger in his eyes. 
But when it was directed at him personally, his own character, he stood there and took it. He's like, my life will speak for itself. My life will speak for itself. But if you're going to take advantage of Will, I'm going to, I'm going to defend him. I'm going to come out fighting. If you're going to take advantage of one, one of this, this house, of one of my children, I'm going to come out fighting. I don't know. Kind of the way I look at it, but maybe maybe that's the takeaway. When our brothers and sisters are being reviled or being taken advantage of uh, or being talked against, we should come out fighting. We should come to their rescue, come to their defense. Don't you know? You know what we do when somebody tells you that juicy bit of gossip about a friend of yours or somebody in the church or whatever. What is our first reaction? Usually, it's to believe what they said. Instead of defending and making the situation or this person or whatever prove that what they're saying is really true. So we come out and we defend. But when it's against me personally, I should just let my life speak for itself. I should live my life in such a way that I don't have to defend myself. Anybody that knows me knows I wouldn't do that. You understand what I'm trying to say here? So I don't know. Maybe that maybe that's the that's the takeaway. I should live my life in such a way that when my character is attacked, I can rejoice in the fact that I don't have to tuck my head. I can know within myself that my life will speak for itself and rest in the knowledge that my friends and my family, my loved ones have my back. That's comforting, isn't it? We can take ex- we can be exceeding glad in that. Let me climb out of this rabbit hole. I don't know how I got so deep into this, but let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Take time to deliberately allow the word of Christ to address the situations in your life. Take time to allow it to. Years ago, some of you will remember this, the the big slogan that went around was the WWJD. What would Jesus do? You remember that? Remember those years? What would Jesus do? The necklace, the bumper sticker, what would Jesus do? So take time to think, what does Jesus say? What do the words of Christ say about this? Did he address this situation in my life specifically? Deliberately allow the word of Christ to address the situation. Don't jump to your natural reaction. James said, be slow to speak, slow to wrath, but quick to hear, quick to hear. Listen to what the Word of Christ says about the situation in your life. Let the Word of Christ be your life guide, your go-to, your mantra, your north star. Be intentional about it. The next word I want to dwell on is dwell. (laughs) Let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly. According to my trusty online dictionary, on my phone, I looked up that word dwell, had several meanings, but basically it means to live or stay as a permanent resident, to live or continue on in a given condition or state. To me, that speaks of current, present, right now, present tense action. Let the word of Christ dwell in you. Let it live on in you. It's not just something that you committed to memory 
It's not just some red words in the Bible that you've committed to memory so when someone's going through something, you can offer cliches and say the little things that are supposed to make them feel better, but they sound hollow and empty. You know what I mean? That's not what letting the word of Christ dwell in you means. If you let it dwell, it's a current, present, ever-living, breathing thing that's inside of you that will help you with what you're going through today and what you're going to face this week. Let the word of Christ dwell in you. I've often said that if Christ were to be born today, like he was 2,000 years ago, that it would be we as Christians who would have the hardest time believing that it's really God in the flesh. We'd reject him just like the Pharisees did back then. You know, we point fingers at them. Well, you should have known it was God in the flesh. But he came in and destroyed their world. Think about it. He didn't act like they thought he should act. You know, I mentioned that my dad was an old-time preacher. <laughs> He'd turn over in his grave if he knew I was up here speaking in blue jeans and a short-sleeved pullover shirt. <laughs> I'm not acting like preachers supposed to act. In my opinion, Jesus wouldn't act like we think he should act. He wouldn't go where we think he should go. He'd go to places we think he shouldn't be at. I believe that. And he did in those days too. What they say, he's eating with sinners. He's talking to prostitutes. Well, just tells you where their mind was, right? I really honestly believe that if Jesus were to be born again right now, like he was then, that we would have some trouble with it because he wouldn't act like we think he should act. He'd be out there doing things and with people that we tend to say they're not the best company to keep, but that's the people that need him. Jesus said, I didn't come for those that don't need anything. I came for those that are sick. That's where I want to be. He'd be the same way if he was here today. I believe that. He would be the same way. So, you know, back in my day, what, what's the word? It was cool. You know, he'd be cool. He'd be hip. He'd be with it. Today is what, dope? He'd be dope. Is that the current word, Will? I don't know. But anyway, he would be, wouldn't he? He'd be with it. He would be current. And if Jesus would be that way, and I honestly believe that he would be, if Jesus is that way, his words, even though they were spoken 2,000 years ago, are still as current and relevant today as they were then. I believe that the word of God in its entirety, but especially the words of Christ, I believe that they are current with every generation. Every generation. That's why I've never had a problem reading other versions of the Bible. I do not get hung up on that it has to be King James, although when I'm going to quote a scripture, that's usually my default. That's what I go to. If I'm going to look a scripture up, I go to the King James version of the concordance because I remember those King James words and find it, and then I'll read it. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> Modern, more pertinent, more up-to-date to me, more dope <laughs> or whatever. <laughs> but anyway, I believe that the word of Christ is contemporary. It's right now. It's right now. It's a current life-giving force that can address and will address, if I allow it to, it will address the current situations in my life, and it's relevant to what I'm facing right now and what I'm going to face this week. The Amplified Version of Colossians 3.16 says it this way, Let the word of Christ have its home within you, parenthesis, dwelling in your heart and mind, 
permeating every aspect of your being. Current, life-giving, breathing. It lives with you in your current situations. Let me give you a quick example of what I'm trying to say. I don't know, maybe this is kind of corny, but it's a little example of just some reflections. These are things going through my head, but take the example, the parable of the Good Samaritan. It's a nice story. It's been preached all kinds of ways all through the years. But basically, what it boils down to, while it's a neat story, it boils down to Jesus was saying there are three types of people in the world. You got the thieves. You got the people represented by the Levite and the priest, church folks, if I can say it that way. And then you got the people represented by the Good Samaritan. Obviously, Jesus is teaching. He wants you to act like the Good Samaritan, right? Okay, so the thieves, what is their attitude? What, do they, what kind of people do they portray? Their attitude, if I can use the King James English, is what's thine is mine. And I'm going to take it. Boy, do we have those in our world. What's yours is mine. And it goes beyond those people. I'm not talking about those people necessarily that would steal your car or break into your house or climb under your car in the middle of the night and steal the catalytic converter or whatever. You know, and all that kind of stuff goes on. Thieves. But I'm talking about, well, you have to be really careful. Deb and I were listening to a news clip this week about uh, this all the new artificial intelligence, they can take a three-second clip of your voice and say anything they want to say, and it'll be you talking. And this woman on the news article, she received a phone call from an unknown number, and it was her daughter, 15-year-old daughter's voice sobbing and crying and saying, Mom, they took me. Please help me. And then a man got on the phone and was demanding money. And so, thankfully, this woman, she got a hold of her husband, I, I guess said, I'll have to call my husband or whatever. And her husband confirmed that, no, our daughter's okay. It was a scam trying to get money out of her. I mean, they'll, they'll steal your identity. They'll, the links they'll go to, if they would use that much effort into making an honest living, they'd be millionaires anyway, you know. But they steal, thieves. What's yours is mine, and I'm going to take it. They have no regard for your own personal space, what's yours. They, they, they could care less the consequence that goes into them. They steal your privacy, your serenity, your peace of mind. They're out to take what's yours and couldn't care less about the consequences to you. It's kind of a simple example, but what I do for a living, I Uber for a living. So I'm on these crazy roads in St. Louis County five, at least five days a week or 8, 10, 11 hours a day. I'm out there driving. Well, if you're on the road five minutes, you know what I see all day, every day. There are some crazy drivers out there. And what's their basic attitude? They're going to take whatever they can get. They bully their way into the line of traffic. They, they pull out from a driveway. When the light is red, they pull out from the driveway, blocking both lanes so nobody can get through until they get their spot. They're going to get in there. I hope I'm not preaching to anybody today. <laughs> if you do that, let the word of Christ dwell in you, okay? Please. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> but they're out to take what they can get and could care less. The thieves, what's yours is mine, and I'm going to take it. The second attitude is represented by the Levite and the priest. What's mine is mine, and I'm going to keep it. 
it's mine, and, and I, I'm not going to take yours, but you can't have mine. It's mine. We live in a selfish world. I'm not telling you anything that you don't already know. It's all about me and mine and what I say and what I can do. Even posts on Facebook, to a great extent, are just all about me. And if you oppose their opinion, you're in for a fight. You know, what's mine is mine, and I'm going to hang on to it. Don't correct me. It's my life. Don't interrupt me. I'll live it the way I want to. Don't try to change me. It's really selfishness on steroids in the, in the generation we live in. It's ridiculous. It's all about me. The vast majority of the people in your particular sphere of life fall into that category. Every week, Alan leads us into, in the Lord's Prayer, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. But the vast majority of people, it's all about my name, building my kingdom doing what I want to do. What's mine is mine. And then we have the attitude that Jesus wants us to have this week, today, this coming week in 2023. It's represented by the Samaritan. What's mine is yours. I'll be happy to share it if you need it. If I see the need, I'm going to share it. I fail in this so much. That's what his words need to mean to me in 2023. The attitude I need to have is what's mine is yours, and you can have it. I'll be happy to give it to you and share it with you. So if I really let his word dwell in me and let it permeate my life, it will cause me to act differently from others in the world, which is what being a Christian is all about, right? I see so often the adjectives that go with Christian. They talk about being a true Christian. You don't have to put an adjective with it. Either you're Christian or you're not, right? There's no such thing as a false Christian. Those two words, they don't go together. You're either a Christian or you're not. But if I let his word dwell in me, then I will not portray the thieves' attitude and push my agenda on everybody else, nor will I portray the selfish attitude that's so prevalent in our world today but if his word abides in me, I'll find myself portraying what his teaching is in this current world. What's mine is yours, and I'll be happy to share it with you. Finally, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Richly. That's rich. Let it have value. The wise man said, a word fitly spoken is like apples of gold and settings of silver. His word is rich. The words of Christ are rich if we let them be in our lives. When you face a situation in your life, some word of Christ drops in your mind to help you through it. That's rich, isn't it? That has lasting value. My wife makes the best homemade chocolate pie ever, and I'm fishing here. <laughs> it is Father's Day. <laughs> Now, I could stand here and tell you about opening the door and stepping into the house to the wonderful smell that tells me something good's about to happen. You know what I mean? Open up the fridge, and I see the pie plate and that golden baked crust and the chocolate filling about that thick and the whipped cream on top, and she does it from scratch. And I'm telling you, folks, it's good. 
It's good. You can tell by looking at me, I enjoy it. If I had the words, I could explain the taste that nothing compares to when I put that first bite in my mouth and taste again that delicious chocolate pie, which pie is my favorite dessert anyway, and desserts are my favorite food group. So anyway, so it's top of the top. It's best of the best. I could tell you all about that, but you wouldn't get much out of it. But if you were to open the door to my house and be hit with that smell, if you were to see that chocolate pie sitting in the refrigerator, if you were to slice a piece and put it on your plate and put your fork in and put it in your mouth, then you could really say, ooh, that's rich. It would be valuable to you. So it's a personal thing. Each one of us has to make the word of Christ. Let it dwell in you richly. Let it be worth something. And it's a personal thing. And so I'll close with Matthew 7, verses 24 through 27, and I want to read it from the New International Version. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine, and these words are in red in your Bible, Jesus said, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house. Yet, it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But, everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. That's rich, folks. So let the Word of Christ, let the Word of Christ dwell in you personally, richly. Amen.